0: Thank you everyone for coming, um, I would say good afternoon, I think we're probably about good evening, um, but thank you for sticking around to be part of this agenda while we talk about DNI and talent, um, and we know it's important because they put it on the last session of the day, um, but at least we know it's important to the people in the room because you've decided to be here and not at the bar, so thank you very, very much. Um, I'm really lucky today to be joined by some phenomenal, we were so sort of going to say panellists, but apparently we are doing a chat show, so these are my chat show guests. So, very, very lucky. Um, Marguerite at the end, Alan and Pamela. You know there'll be more fall over there, but we're going to dive in. Um, and I'm probably going to start and just work my way across if you don't mind. That takes some of the thinking out of it for me. So <laughs> it's a little bit easier. So Pamela, we're going to start with you. Go on, then. What I want to start with is who are you and why should we listen to you?
1: I said, I said, be kind. Okay, I'm Pamela. I am a straight white woman from a very humble background. I live with complex diversity in my life in a family context with a uh, neurodiverse child who has an eating disorder. I am married, second time, and I am... um, like a hen's tooth because I am a CEO running a billion-dollar insurance broker across 70-plus countries in Latin America, Central Eastern Europe, Middle East, Africa, Asia, and Australasia. And I know a thing about diversity. I know a thing about hardship. (laughs) I know a thing about how to build and drive high-performing teams.
0: Amazing. I'm I'm glad I didn't introduce myself first after that, so. um, But look, thanks for being with us. Um, I wanted to start with role models, and you and I discussed this at at length on the phone, but how important do you think role models are in this conversation? Yeah,
1: great. I, I mean, they're critically important, and actually it's something, when we talk about inclusion and diversity and why it's important, the commercial dividend behind it, and why you need diverse talent with different views to make informed and better decisions, We actually, we we sort of forget, you know, the critical criteria behind why do people stay at an organization? They stay because they see someone who's made it that looks like them. And if they don't see people who look like them, they don't feel they have a chance. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get the role models out there and visible because they do exist. There aren't enough. You have to get them out there and visible so they inspire talent to come. They inspire talent to stay. They learn from people who look like them about how to be in the workplace. It's critical.
0: Now, you said a slightly controversial thing to me when we were speaking. Well, it's slightly (laughs) controversial. but Yeah, well, more than one, but the the stuff that we can say out loud. Um, (laughs) But you said to me that you're against hybrid working, remote working. And I wanted to understand what we've got wrong about that.
1: Yeah, I I am against it, actually. And I know it's not necessarily a popular view because uh, COVID gave us an opportunity to create a more flexible working environment for people, which can work, it can work. But the detriment to the um, underrepresented talent base in our industry, and we have a huge swathe of underrepresented talent in the industry. uh, We have underrepresented talent. There's too much um, uh, homogenous, uh, people in the business, the detriment to those who are underrepresented means that if you 're flexible and you 're working from home if you 're flexible and you 're working in the coffee shop and you 're not in an office with a, in a team environment you 're not visible and if you 're not visible, all those unconscious biases come to the fore about you know who did you last have a drink with, who were you at the water cooler with, who did you have a coffee with, who were you physically working with in a project where you bonded a bit. The people who are not there on the pitch, in in the team, playing visibly, don't get thought about as much, rightly or wrongly. They don't get thought about as much for promotion, for stretch opportunities, for bringing along to the client event. And so I worry enormously that the people who have chosen to move more flexibly are those who actually are already in underrepresented talent pools. And and I'm thinking about women in particular and those who have carer obligations. Um, So I worry that we've got already a challenge, uphill challenge on the commercial imperative to pull that diversity lever. And we're putting people in a space where they're just not going to be seen for the opportunities.
0: Sure, sure. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, You are a very senior woman in the industry. And one thing we discussed is how your seniority has changed the way you observe women being treated in the workplace.
1: You know, when I um, actually came into work, when I came into the industry, I didn't see myself as a woman. Um, So when I was junior, I just saw myself as a colleague doing the work. It was only when I started to become senior that I encountered hurdles and barriers to progression and I also worked with other leaders who I could see were visibly discriminating against people um, because you get to be part of the discussion process when you're looking at who do you recruit, who do you promote, who do you bring onto the project, who do you take to the client event and that's been to me uh, it's been a revelation. I've then realized that actually I'd was facing at points discrimination because I was a woman. So I sort of changed my perception on what I should be doing, actually. So I really feel very responsible, actually, to be a role model, but also build all underrepresented talent pools up in the industry. And I mean for the industry, not just for my company.
0: Um, I want to bring Alan in on, on this point. And, um, Alan, I, as a quote from you, when uh, which is a really mean thing to do, but I did check this with you. So um, We had a conversation, there's a quote from you, was that we don't see the world how it is, um, you see the world as we are. And I, I think it's an interesting point, what does that mean when it comes to DE&I in the workplace?
2: Yeah, I think, I think that quote is, is, uh, is life-changing. If you really understand uh, the magnitude of that quote, It can even save some relations of people here in the room when they go home. So when I talk about this in workshops, I always have that image and just try to to see it. It's um, a rhino, and this rhino, it's a cartoon, the rhino can't uh, uh, um, paint. But imagine a rhino who is painting landscape, and every time in the landscape, in every landscape that the rhino is painting, there is a mountain in the middle. And so the rhino is not realizing that it's actually his own horn. And that's what it means with we see the world like we are. We, each of us, each of us in this room, we have another perception. You hear me differently than you hear me. And when it comes to diversity, and it's a little bit what you said, we only recognize what we know, what we see, and we also value what we recognize. So male leaders will value male behavior, male leadership styles. And that's why, at the end of the story, we end up with similar people at similar places. So the, the biggest tool to create an inclusive environment where everyone is valued is becoming aware of your own way you see the world. And that is, is, is a big, big job. And why would it change your relationship or help your relationships? It's, think about, you know, maybe you're someone in the morning, you get up and you take your toothpaste and you go from the back to the front, brush your tooth, and then your partner comes in and they just go in the middle of the toothpaste. They're like, wow. And you're like, damn. And you can have so much um, discussions about it or you can manipulate each other to do it the way you like or just buy other kinds of toothpaste, you know, or two kind of toothpaste, or I don't know. But finding ways to just accept that we are different ways of seeing the world and that will help us to, to value the differences because till now it's often you do it my way or the highway. And, and that's why also if you come into this conference and you look around you, you see very much similar kinds of people who yeah. speak a similar kind of language, which is excluding lots and lots of people. So that's what I mean with, with that.
0: Well, we started with a great quote from you, but I realized I wasn't as mean as I was to Pamela. So that's not very fair as it is. Oh, so we're gonna to have to start with who are you and why are
2: we listening to you as well? Oh, why should you listen to me? Oh gosh. Um, so, I am Alan, I'm a, a white, um, not heteronormative man, <laughs> um, I am Belgium, I mean born in Belgium, I come from a very little village in the middle of nowhere where even the sexual revolution of the 60s went around, um, and um, I'm working for 20 years now as diversity and inclusion consultant, I'm very passionate about the topic. Um, because I think most of our time we spend at work, we spend with people, um, with other people and people we choose for. And it's so important that we can come with who we are, with different layers of who we are. Um, and why Why should you listen to me? Well, I have a little bit of the imposter syndrome between these amazing women. I, I don't do big, big business like they do. But, um, yeah, why would you listen? Well, I think... I see so many, I, I guided so many companies over the years that went from companies where they had fines when it came to racism and, and sexism, and now they are um, winning prizes to be the most diverse and inclusive company. So I have a little bit of experience in it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Alan. And
0: you said something really interesting about um, intercultural communication. So. I wanted to perhaps explain what that means um, and how does that drive change? Yes.
2: Well, I I think, I'm not sure, I don't know enough of insurance because of of that, but I I kind of confirm being here that we underestimate the importance of interculturality. I think it's it's hugely, specifically also insurance with all business, but also insurance. um, Like, for example, uh, there is the north of... In general, I mean, there's more, it's more complicated than that. But in general, in the north of the world, it's a very individualistic culture. So when you sell insurance, it makes sense. You focus on the individual and what's the gain for the individual. But when you go to the south of the world, it's much more groups culture. So you have to sell or or look differently to data. And I heard in the previous talk here about talking again about data and, and artificial intelligence, which is often made by white straight men again. So there is no place for that interculturality. And I'm sure uh, it will drive businesses if you start to be aware of that. And it's not only about country differences. I mean, All of you know this in your own country, one city to another city has another culture. So becoming aware and creating space at the workplace where you can bring that in. Because that's also a big mistake. It's like, oh, we will ask to a woman what it is. Or we will ask to uh, someone with a disability, tell us, what do you need? I mean, just bring those people in your company and create a dynamic where they feel comfortable to bring in their culture, to bring in their differences, and then you will learn. Mm. Um, and I think that leads us on to something else we talked about, was um,
0: perhaps it's good to explain what we mean by insiders and outsiders, oh. and, and what impact that has on the uh, and i
2: Well, it's the same dynamic I talked about it, and, and it's... It, in i try to explain fast. So insiders are those who are in power, those who, decide the rules, um, they are not always the majority, but what is typical for insiders is they don't realize that they are in power, actually. And outsiders are those who are not, who not, not so have easy access to power and who are most of the time bicultural because they have to adapt their culture to understand the insider. And um, it, they have to squeeze themselves in. Now, that's a dynamic that's outside. It's not a dynamic that I, org- that I organize or that you organize, but it is there and it's changing all the time. Like, for example, here on this stage, I feel an outsider because, I mean, these are people you're all used to work insurance. I am not. Um, if we both go outside and we are looking to a basketball players, we will probably all feel of us like outsiders. So it can change in your life when you're insider, when you're outsider. But as leaders and colleagues, it's important you see that. Like, for example, as we were waiting uh, and we saw the previous people talk, when I I saw immediately, oh, look, they're all men. (laughs) So you see it's insiders talking. And you have to start to see in those dynamics. When you go to a restaurant, get in the restaurant and see like, oh, who is is serving? Who is in the kitchen? Who is behind the kitchen? Which system is going on? Now, if you want to bring in other voices, you have to become aware of those systems of insiders and outsiders. And once you are aware of that, and it's a little bit what you said, you know, when you were in that role, as senior, you suddenly start to see, and then you were in a position you can bring in that outsider. Because there has been too long that idea of, oh, we need diversity, so we have the black person, we have the woman, we have even someone with disability, yeah, we're good. Well, if that those cannot bring in, you don't give them a space to really talk, you don't have the advantage. So becoming aware of that is hugely interesting also for yourself because then you start to see which privileges and which systemic advantage that comes together with that insiderness. And for sure, if you're in a position of change, that is a a great opportunity. Thank you. Um, Marguerite, I wanted to bring
0: you in now. Um, And before I shamelessly forget what I put everyone else through, who are you and why should we listen to you?
3: <laughs> so I'm a 33-year-old veteran in insurance and reinsurance. I uh, retired more or less two months ago, which is fantastic. So a happy face here, you know. Um, and um, I'm next to what I've done for uh, for A.ON. Uh, I've also been always very active for, indeed, diversity and inclusion. and. Uh, not only in the Netherlands, but also internationally. I represent the Kingdom of the Netherlands at the G20, which is uh, women empowerment is one of the topics. But back to our discussion. I think for me, this is about to be seen. You talked about visibility, and you talked about to see. So I think it's a combination of both. You need to be seen, uh, whoever you are, whatever diverse you are. In order to to raise to certain levels, you need to be visible. And also, you need to see yourself, what's going on? What's going on in the environment surrounding myself? And how do I relate? And the interesting part is I always like some examples to make it very tangible. So I have two examples. The first one is we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. And, and a few weeks ago, um, someone asked artificial intelligence, give me the names of 10 philosophers. And AI came up with 10 white male philosophers. And it's uh, Nietzsche, you can name it, Jean-Paul Sartre, all the philosophers we've been growing up with. Because it was only males, the second question was then, give me 10 female philosophers. And he came up with 10 female philosophers, Simone de Beauvoir, etc. And then he disco- discovered there's no diversity from cultures, different backgrounds. So he said, give me 10 non-Western philosophers and he came up with Chunzu Tzu uh, from Art of War, etc. The interesting part was, then again, the question was asked, and this is where the message gets in, give me the names of 10 philosophers. So after we've asked 10 philosophers, 10 female philosophers, 10 non-Western male and female philosophers, and when you ask the question again, it comes up again with 10 male white philosophers. Now, that's what happens in our business, still. The other thing is about visibility and about clients. Uh, who of you knows Beyoncé? And I know that Johanna knows Beyoncé. <laughs> yeah. So everybody knows Beyoncé. Who doesn't? Come on, we live in a world. Beyoncé, a few years ago, came into the news. And not because she accepted the deal with Adidas, which she did, because she declined the deal with Reebok. And she declined the deal with Reebok because they pitched with a team where she said, listen, Reebok, your team doesn't match my values. I only see white people male men in front of me. And I represent the values of many women around the globe, but also women of color. Now, why is this interesting? It's because it goes a little bit deeper. And I think the Germans in the room might know the answer to this question, because the interesting part of this story is not that she declined the deal, but Reebok, which she declined, is a subsidiary of Adidas. So even if Adidas has really made it all happen, and we know that in our companies, we do all the, every day we work on diversity act and inclusion to create the belonging, but still we need to really check all the various levels to make sure it happens everywhere in order to create the belonging and the culture change which we admire to have. Well,
0: what I find interesting, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it when we discussed was that so, we know that diversity makes businesses more profitable, we know it makes them... More innovative, we know it makes businesses more sustainable. Why are we not changing?
3: Yeah, because so first everybody knows the reports of McKinsey, Goldman, Sachs. I don't need to call them out to you. The economic reasons are all sound and clear. The social reasons also, women represent 50% of society. Then we have the legal reasons after Black Lives Matters. We know, especially insurance, how extremely volatile it can be if you actually can be held liable, and that's happening as we speak. A lot of claims are coming in. For me, it's about fairness, uh, Alex. It's about the case for fairness. Uh, and why should we, you know, we should make sure that we provide everyone and each and every individual with equal opportunities with the differences. If we talk about equal opportunities, if we talk to Pamela myself, we're already different, we're female. Uh, but in order for me to succeed, I might need different things than Pamela. And what, need, what is needed is that we engage with each other on the topics. We engage with each other, like, what do you need in order to do the next level, the next thing? Don't take things for granted, is my message.
0: And that leads us on nicely to something you discussed. We talked about, are we asking the right questions? Yeah. And you talked me through, I think there are sort of five types of questioning that I found really interesting. I thought it was useful yeah. to this topic.
3: Yeah, so the five types of questioning, and this is really interesting because you will notice the difference between, uh, you know, diversities, whether it's generations or men or women, but there are five types of questioning. One is integral which means, like, I talk about finance, compliance, we do it all the time. In our office jobs, every day, we talk about integral questioning. The second one is personal, which is about what you ask, like, who are you, why are you here, why should you be here, what's, what's Alan? Who's Alan, who's Alan, who's Pamela? This is something which doesn't happen too often in the insurance industry. We only talk about business often, and the personal questions are, you know, lacking behind. The, the third one is disruptive questioning. And this is where men really don't, this is what men don't like. If you say A, and I would say Z, and we know that consultants do this very well, some of the men in the boardroom get very uncomfortable because they like people to follow them, like, you know, the, 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 highway, the highway, whatever. The fourth one is uh, is um, the ones which is at the moment very much done by younger generations ethical questioning, talking about climate change, sustainability. Uh, energy transition, geopolitical changes, China, you name it. And the fifth one, which is the one which fit, fits a lot of the older generations better than men in my boardrooms, are is hopeful questioning. I still ask those very disruptive questioning, but I put a very hopeful source around it so they can take it in with a smile.
0: <laughs> I like the hopeful bit. Um, there was something you talked about about that, I thought was really impactful, which is about localizing culture and the importance of localizing culture within your DEI strategy. I wondered if you'd explain kind of what you mean by that and how you do that in a practical sense. Yeah,
3: that's what in the army it's being called situational awareness, so that you're really looking at what's here now and don't assume. And I think my biggest message is don't assume, ask questions. Uh, and be curious, and are you, are you willing to learn? And often, why is d not going right? Because there's a positive intent of organizations to put policies in place, but they forget to ask the persons in, who are actually being addressed whether that policy matches their needs and requirements. So for me, the most important message to everyone is, you know, you talk about talent and talk about, talk to the people, ask them what they need in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. And also, the last but not least, and also I think that uh, this is maybe also something where I feel like success is always being described a lot in the insurance industry in profiles which are extremely male-oriented. And so if you put a profile together, language is important, that's the message. So if you put a profile together and you want to address and attract more diversity... Uh, if you put down you're a rock star, I think the two of us, we might react because we feel, I, I have no objection being called out a rock star anymore. Yeah. But a lot of younger women might feel like, oh, rock star? No, that's not me. So you need, to, you, know, you need to have the diversity of thought and opinion to think along to the diversities you want to attract.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a thing that I'm very passionate about. I talk about it a lot um, in what we do, um, t- treating talent as a customer. You know, your yeah. first customer in any business is actually the people that work for you. And if you looked at the journey that those people take on trying to join your business, one, we make it hard, and two, we don't do it in the best way. Like We know that a job specification is a list of demands from us. We want this from you. This is what we need from you. And then we use that same document to try and attract people. That's not an advert. An advert is, you know, BMW is, is the driving machine. If, it, if if you try to advertise BMWs like we do job adverts, you just display the tech specs and then expect people to buy them, and they don't buy them for that reason. So I think treating talent in that way um, and knowing that it, at source that impacts our DNI, we can't say we're doing things about DNI if we're not even tackling that very small issue, which is just rewording our job adverts and rewording our job specification. Yeah, it's very very simple. Um, Pamela, I wanted to come back to you because I, I wanted to. I sort of discussed with you, I don't think you're particularly a fearful person and and very brave, it's quite obvious, but what part does fear play in the journey to inclusiveness? And perhaps afterwards, that'd be something I'd ask the rest of the the guys on the stage, please.
1: That is a really, that's a good question. Um, People fear being on the outside and people like being part of a community. People also fear getting things wrong. So they don't know how to bring people from outside in. And so rather than do it, they don't do it at all. But they particularly don't want to dilute their um, community in a way that would mean that they themselves get pushed down and ostracized. So you hear um, a lot about people saying, that person got my job, that woman got my job. The man says, that woman got my job. I was standing in the lift in our building about five years ago and a young man came into the lift with an HR person coming for an interview and the man who was in his 50s turned to the young man and said, don't come here, it's all about the women. Creating a sense of fear, you know, this young kid is trying to come for a decent interview at a great company, would probably be really talented and could get the job, but he's immediately told there's a fear factor here because they're going to put a woman in instead. Or it might be that the woman's in there when she should have your job already. And that type of um, fear that exists and fear that's created by those who don't want to see change is, is really systemic and toxic and needs to be really, again, it comes back to leadership, needs to be managed actively by leaders who believe in creating that healthy culture where actually everyone gets a chance. So the woman doesn't get the job because she's a woman, the woman gets the job because she's better skilled for it. Same with the promotion, sure. same with any other underrepresented talent base. But fear, fear is a huge factor and pulls us, drags us down on the diversity mm. challenge. Courage therefore is the antidote. Yeah. And so being courageous, having courageous leaders, making courageous decisions and putting someone in that looks a bit different, who might not fit the mold initially, mm. but could be developed is critically important to success. Mm.
0: I, I see that all the time, when we and we were a search firm, and the lack of bravery in hiring decisions is really shocking yeah. to me. But look, doesn't we're in insurance? We're in a regulated market. There are certain people that have to fill certain roles. Yeah. But there is opportunity within that, particularly when we're talking about innovation. If we're building an innovation team, why on earth do those people have to come from the insurance industry?
1: Yeah. And great. And,
0: and I would say de facto they they shouldn't. And and they're bringing new ideas, operations, finance. There's yeah. so many avenues. If we just take those simple non-specific to industry opportunities, but it doesn't happen. I mean, the amount of yeah. briefs. I've been doing this 17 years and every brief starts with must have worked in the insurance industry. Yeah. And a lot of the time it's the first thing we push back on. Um, Alan, you've worked with a lot of companies and, and how have you sort of worked with them on fear of change and fear of culture and, and how much has that played a part in what you've done?
3: Hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I told yesterday to someone that, that I I literally created a program for only white men. Like I bring them in a room and let's talk about that fear (laughs) (laughs) because it's reality for them. I mean, what they see is that suddenly there's more competition and, um, they have a feeling that they're going to lose and in num- even if numbers show it's not the case there's not there's not less job for men they have that they have that fear and i think we we made a mistake um in our approach through the years when we work on diversity and i still see it happening today if i if i see that most of the dni managers in companies are people from the outsiders it's rarely they put a white straight man in their job and it looks like i mean white straight men feel incompetent in that when it comes to the ni and so it's not their topic so they outsource it someone else do it and tell me where i have to sign and so i think we have to include them more so for me it's about if you really bring them in that story they see their benefits because there is a benefit in for for straight white men over their 40s in power to 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 keep an account of the importance of diversity and inclusion. And when they, they, they see that interest, they are not scared anymore. On the contrary, they are very willing to, to put their shoulders under it and, and, and pass what they learn to other people and, and mentor other people. So, but we have to bring them in. I, I,
0: you said something really powerful to me, which I've genuinely taken away and, it, and uh, it's been sitting with me ever since, which was just, um, I, I said I was going to start with, a, why should I listen to you? And then you said, you shouldn't. And, and the second thing was that, assume you're going to get it wrong. And I thought that that's the thing I've stuck with. Assume that you're going to get it wrong. Because you will, by default, get it wrong. Because you only see the world for your own eyes. So if you kind of give yourself that freedom to accept that you will make mistakes... I mean, I'm sitting here talking about fear, and I realized that I referred to my fellow panelists just now as guys, um, which is like default because that's. <laughs>
3: yeah. well, it, Alex, that diversity is like right? a raw diamond. You <laughs> yeah. know, if you would see a raw diamond on the floor, you wouldn't be able to pick it up now because you wouldn't recognize it to be a diamond. Ooh. It needs friction and polishment. And of course, then it will, then it will actually shine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's hard work. And so it's, it's, it's not an easy job, but it's hard work. And once it works, you know, you'll find out you'll be more profitable, more sustainable, more innovative, et cetera, and go so on.
0: Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, because uh, we're going to be out of time, but I wanted to just stay with you, Marguerite, and, and pass it back down the panel. If you could say like, one practical thing that you'd love businesses to take away, and it could be small, it could be large, what would be that thing that you would drive to, to this again? I
3: think that uh, this is a topic which is about leadership, it's not about HR. It's about leadership. So every board should be taking this into their boardroom, and it should not be de- delegated to HR. So that's my biggest message. So I, often when I talk about the topic, and I talk quite often about the topic, I always relate with the leadership. And people want to be led, and people want to be heard, heard. But if you don't hear hear them appropriately, you won't be followed. So for leaders, it's really important that they know that if they want to be a leader, I need to make sure that the people behind them, women and men, and elder diversity, whatever, generations, religious, LGBTQ+, trans, that they're being followed. And it requires at the moment inspiration. So inspirational leadership is for me key, and that's something each and every leader should uh, work on themselves. Uh, but my biggest message for everyone dealing with the topic, don't let this be managed by HR. It's your ownership, it's your accountability, it's your job as a leader to make sure this is okay.
2: And yeah. um, Alan, what were you saying? The one takeaway when you want to be more inclusive would be call me, but that, that's what? not, call me, <laughs> just call me. <laughs> uh, but um, I think what I, what I find interesting when companies say, oh, this is not very, and then they use the, t- the title of their company, You should ask yourself, what does it mean? This is typical L'Oreal or this is typical this or this is typical that. It means that you have a format that is by definition excluding others. And so, again, going back to your first question, look at your glasses. How do you see the world and how are you excluding? Look around you, look at the picture of your company and you will see what the problem is. Pamela, please.
1: I would say don't forget the why. Why is it important to have diverse teams because they make better decisions better decisions leads to innovation profit financial success and we are talking about corporate entities we're not talking about governments building social structure in a country we're talking about here to make business in the right way be innovative be successful so don't forget the why is what i would say
0: Thank you very much. Um, and thank you so much for staying. I appreciate it's the end of the day and there's a free bar over there. So uh, round of applause <laughs> for you first, yeah, I please. You a drink please. from us. Yeah, well And then a round of applause for
2: everyone.